Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone, joined currently by Christopher Nee. We are not sure where Zach Blostin is. He might still be dead. I mean, it's Halloween, so he's allowed to, to come back today and join us for the podcast, but Zach is MIA, Chris. Hey, live your best life is what I say. You think my man's been partying a little bit this weekend? Is that where he is? It's Tallahassee and it's Halloween, so there's a fair chance that's probably the case. Before we get into today's episode, which is going to be a recap of FSU's convincing win, not always pretty, but ultimately convincing win over Georgia Tech, maybe a little bit of Miami talk, uh, but we'll save that for later in the week because it is UM hate week, and then uh, and then a good deal of recruiting stuff as well to get to. I wanted to do a candy draft between the three of us, but Zach not being here kind of ruins it, Chris. So let's just go into your top four Halloween candies that you could procure. I mean, anything Reese's is at the top of the list for me. Kit Kat's probably soon after that. I'm a big Hershey's dark guy. And then I guess I'd probably throw something like uh, Chewy Lemon Heads, which is a new one to oh. the list. But uh, Trunk or Treat this past couple of days reintroduced me to Chewy Lemon Heads. And it was life changing. You're a Chewy Lemon Head. So that's your Mount Rushmore. So when we, if we were going to do the draft, I was going to take away... Reese's anything Reese's related I was gonna say none of us can draft it because everyone would be jockeying for who got number one because I think that's by far the best candy so I mean they're a generational quarterback of course you're taking a number one and they withstand the test of time too I mean I think that's that's the beauty it just it it translates to all errors so you want to talk about football now yeah let's get into it the Seminoles beat Georgia Tech 41 to 16 to move to five and three on the season Chris, the last time FSU was five and three through eight games was 2016, I believe it was the year that they beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl because they rolled off five straight victories to finish at year ten and three. Uh, how different those five and threes, five and threes felt. Remember, the world was was collapsing. That was the Louisville year. That was Derwin James getting her uh, a season with. <laughs> what a season! Yeah, and now this one's about trying to climb out of the cellar and become a better football program and put something on paper that you can go into an offseason and sell. Yeah, something somewhat poetic with, with those two five and threes bookending each other because one was a, a decline right in front of our eyes, and you're hoping this one is indeed a climb. Saturday was not a thing of beauty by any means. I mean, you you win convincingly. Was that 25 points? That You're able to control a majority of the game. But there were some things that were not so pleasant, especially early on. Some of the red zone woes and the things that have been continuous themes throughout the season. Red zone issues showed up. Sporadic special teams play showed up early in the second half. Uh, and then some coverage busts that just pretend to like just not great communication at times. And I say all that to be realistic about like where we want this team, where it is and where we want it to end up being. I guess, Chris, for you, what were the takeaways before we get to the good, the bad, a little bit of the ugly? Uh, what was like the big, like overarching theme from this game? I mean, I think FSU showed how explosive they can be as an offense. You put up almost 650 yards, 430 or 250 on the ground, uh, rounding those numbers just slightly, but it's in that ballpark immediately. Uh, I think it just shows what you're capable of while keeping in mind who the opponent was, what they are, and what they currently have available. Um, but yeah, I just you know, it, it was it was kind of a weird day because FSU won easily. FSU outplayed them in pretty much every facet. FSU controlled that game for a vast majority of it, even though they were down three nothing early, in part because of a pretty bad fumble at the goal line. 
that allowed for a big return to set up the field goal. But it, it's about if they want to take the next step as a program, they just have to be a more consistent version of themselves. We'll, we'll get into it more with the good, the bad, and the ugly, so I don't want to jump ahead too far. But there's just things that they're doing that are against better opponents going to be potentially self-destructive. And I don't want our tone to come off as overly negative because ultimately I think you, you feel good. Like I felt good rewatching the game. I felt fine leaving the yeah. game. Um, but I think we're both on the same page. It's just, we're trying to now gauge this team as taking the next step. And we're trying to see when that next step is going to be taken or if it can be. And you just want to see a more complete performance against this type of Georgia tech team. It's not to undercut that there was a lot of good. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they blocked it up pretty well. I threw it all around the yard. I think 11 different guys had catches, if I recall correctly. The running game was very effective. Uh, you know, Trey Benson was once again very good at kind of constantly taking chunks, having two 20-plus yard runs. Toe Philly also had a 20-plus yard run. I think it was 17 total explosive plays for like 456 total yards for FSU. That's a magnificent number, and that's sort of what the offense is supposed to be. You know, built for playmakers, explosive, all those cliches we like to throw out there. And then defensively, you know, they did well. There was opportunities there to create takeaways, one of which, you know, tried to go right through Renardo Green's chest and somehow he didn't come up with. But you also left the game just kind of going like, you got to remember one, Georgia Tech's bad. Like Georgia Tech offensive skill is putrid and not having Jeff Sims set some back even further. And their defense actually has a few guys I actually enjoy watching play football. Charlie Thomas Jr., who had the fumble recovery that set up a field goal. Uh, LADL linebacker, Keon, the D-end is pretty good. And they got a couple guys in their secondary, specifically at safety, that aren't bad. So, like, there were a few guys on the field that I thought belonged there for Georgia Tech. But all in all, Georgia Tech's a pretty bad football team. Yeah, let's start with the offense when we talk about the good because what it did against a – like that Georgia Tech defense is solid. Now, when you're missing your starting quarterback and you can't move the football at all for large chunks of the game, like that sets up uh, field position and just uh, a sense of like helplessness at times for, for the defense and so for FSU's offense to capitalize on. But ultimately, like the Seminoles moved the ball, one, uh, at a pretty consistent clip. Uh, their success rate – per play was 54%, which would be in the 93rd percentile nationally. That's according to game on paper. So I've heard this narrative like, oh, they weren't consistent moving the ball. Uh, there were times in the second half where they got bogged down into third and longs and Jordan Travis really bailed them out with his ability to pass the ball. Uh, but ultimately, like the run game was pretty strong throughout. Uh, it was pretty consistent. It wasn't necessarily like super explosive. The, the passing game was, but the run game was consistent and uh, played well off of uh, the pass game. They complemented each other well, I thought. So as we start to talk about the good of this game, Chris, I think we have to start with Jordan Travis, a career high, 396 passing yards, three passing touchdowns. Now, three of those were, you know, those three passing touchdowns were all chunk plays. Uh, so yep. that kind of pads the stats a little bit. But man, all three of those throws were freaking dimes and, and well-earned touchdowns for FSU. Yeah, Toe Philly one down the sideline was probably the best throw he made all day. Uh, Johnny Wilson play was also an impressive one. And then, well, Ja'Kai Douglas was the other one. So those are your three touchdowns on today. I believe Georgia Tech had not allowed more than 305 passing yards to an opponent this year entering the game. So, well, I am talking about them being a lowly opponent. FSU went out there and did it, and that matters. Uh, anybody that wants to talk about the offense not being overly impressive on the day, I, I just don't get that idea. Um, I mean, they had 10 drives. They scored on seven of them. They should have easily scored on eight of them if they don't lay it on the turf at the one-yard line on a wildcat play that went bad. 
the other drive turnover on downs and the other drive also ended on a fumble where it was just elbow technique and how uh, the running back, in this case, Lawrence Toffoli again got hit and it squirted out. Um, so the offense was good. No three and outs on the day, consistent production. I, I don't really get how you can say the offense was bad. They kept Jordan fairly clean. I think what one sack allowed, three negative plays total allowed. You can live with that from the offense. The most destructive thing the offense did to itself was offensive penalties. Yeah, the penalties, well, I think they were at 11 total in the game collectively. Yeah, and I think it was six. Uh, no, sorry, thir- five 13, 13 for 104. Wow, that is a lot. Like, again, this wasn't a perfect game, but I mean, FSU's offense, like first downs, uh, they had 32. I think that's the most they've had in a, in a game against a uh, FBS opponents since maybe it's like 2016 ish, like when Dalvin Cook was around. So, like, the, and again, against a pretty strong, like, Georgia Tech is a top half, like, above average defense nationally. And you made them look very, very subpar. Uh, yeah, the Jordan Travis, Chris, I, I, he, he not only was really sharp on those three touchdown passes, they're all beautiful, but like his checks in the run game, you can see him. Uh, either killing checks or trying to get guys into the right play and, and often worked out, especially like I mean, that very first run with Trey Benson uh, when they were in, in the two running back set. Trey Benson is kind of a stretch uh, outside zone play. Lawrence Tofilly throws a great block, but Jordan puts him in a good position there with the with the check. So he managed the offense extremely well. It's kind of fun. He is I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this. He is what we see in practice for him specifically is what he often is in the game, almost a hundred percent of the time, like his good weeks of practice translate to good games and his subpar weeks of practice translate to you know, mediocre, forgettable ones. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, one stat that was in the final notes and numbers and it was provided by FSU is in nine of his last 12 games, he's completed 60% or more of his passes. So he's kind of hit a streak of being pretty consistently good and building upon the outings on top of each other. And I thought Saturday was one of his better outings. And I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to get stuck on narratives that other people are spewing, but Jordan Travis was really good on Saturday. He completed equal to career high in completions. And truthfully, he had what three, four balls dropped. I remember Preston Daniel having one early, two, for example, two on that first drive that yeah. led to no so, points like, two in a row. I'll, I'll take that out of that kid every single Saturday. And it will probably put FSU in a position to be competitive, especially offensively. So, there you go. And the run game, really good as well. Uh, Jordan was not a factor in the run game. We'll talk about that later because people want to really harp on that too. Uh, and I think that's worth discussing for a few few minutes. But Why, why did ben, he need to be? That, mean, would, that, be my, that, that would be my, that's my point. Where, yeah, I mean, it's Georgia Tech. If you can't line it up and run it with your running backs, then what the hell are we doing here? I mean, FSU had a 375-yard pass or a 100-yard rush or a 100-yard receiver. They've done that three times. Like, let's stop complaining about the offense. Jesus. Yeah. Like, the, this was... the point production is the complaint that is allowed on the offense. The offense that produced on Saturday should have still produced probably, what, at least 10 more points, if not 14 more. So that Easily. can be something yeah. you can harp on. And that's been an issue consistently this season. And that goes back to red zone woes. And we can all get stuck on the Wildcat. And God knows I hate the Wildcat as much as anybody under the sun. And I'm a Dolphins fan. We damn near invented the thing. Um, you know, the red zone issues are red zone issues that we're eight games, nine games into this, this year, what they are is what they are. They, they continue to have red zone issues. 
We're sticking with the good right now. Trey Benson, Lawrence Tofilly, nice one-two punch running the ball. Uh, Lawrence having the the fumble as a toughie. Uh, I'm not even talking about the Wildcat one. The Wildcat one was him leaving a little early in the snap, which weren't particularly good through the day, being being a little high and hot and to the outside and just kind of a deadly combination there. But we get to see Rodney Hill, Chris. We get to see C.J. Campbell. What a great story that was uh, for yep. C.J. too. I, I've never covered a player who's been ruled out for the season come back and not just like the last game of the season either. He came back in game eight. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he got injured. I think it was August 13th. He broke his fibula. And his ankle was off center. They thought he essentially dislocated and possibly torn ligaments. The good news is when they got in there, that wasn't the issue. It was just a fibula that obviously helped shorten the window and allow him to work back. But he did heal unbelievably well. And talking to people, his work ethic and the rehab process was great. And it's just sometimes... Some dudes heal differently than others. Yeah, the power of positivity. Uh, but we got to see Rodney Hill and the world. Chris got to see what we've been talking about in practice for the last few weeks. It wasn't just us. Yeah, I'm allowed to talk about him again. I, I put myself on a self ban of talking about Rodney Hill because I love the kid and he looked great in practice. And we had a two, three week stretch there where we kept thinking he was going to be part of a game plan because of how much he was featured in practice. And it hadn't happened. So I just was like, we're not going to talk about Rodney until we see Rodney again. But how he looked in practice, too, with those yeah. with that with those like he looked on Saturday. Dude runs through contact extremely well. He's an explosive runner. He does a good job finishing runs. He's also a very capable catching running back. He's got every bit of the elements you want at that position. That position's not going to see a fall off anytime soon because they they do continue to land good players and they're continuing to develop players into better running backs. And Rodney's a great example of that. CJ, who was a walk-on when he arrived here, is another example of a guy where they kind of nailed it. Treshawn Ward is a past example of that. Uh, I'm not the least bit concerned about running back. I've always been one who wishes they would land an elite running back just because that's what FSU is at that position traditionally. But like, I'm not complaining about what that room produces. And I'm glad to see Rodney go out there and do it. And Rodney can do that against anybody. Rodney is fully capable of being a feature back for FSU right now. It's just a matter of I don't know that he's necessarily needed at this point because Trey Benson is pretty special and you want to keep getting him at bats because the more at bats he gets, the better he's going to be. Trayshawn Ward's definitely there and Ward's toe fill. He fits the explosive narrative perfectly. Chris mentions Trayshawn Ward. Uh, we'll see if he's able. He was not dressed out. He was sidelined for this game against Georgia Tech. We'll see if he could return against Miami. I, I think that would was probably like the optimistic timeline, even though an official timeline yeah. has not been been ruled, uh, been made public. I think Miami was probably like the earliest, so we'll we'll see if this week is a is a thing for him or not. I'm sure Mike Norvell will be asked about Dreshen Ward's status, and uh, we'll go from there. But to see the run game be able to move the ball consistently against a good run defense without Dreshen Ward, like that was encouraging to see uh, four different guys average 5.4 yards, 5.4 yards or more per carry. That's hard to say. Uh, that's encouraging. The passing game again with Jordan was was really really sharp, and especially hit on the explosive. Johnny Wilson had a great week of practice. That translates over to the game: three catches, 111 yards, one touchdown. Uh, he was targeted eight times, so not super efficient, but you know he you get that 70 yarder, 78 yarder where you are able to juke someone out and and finish. And you also saw the, the catch radius on another pass. Like yeah, he's he's as advertised. But having Jakai Douglas in there, getting Lawrence Tove Philly. Involved in the passing game is always a good thing as well. Uh, it was a really good balanced passing attack where you had one, two, three, four, five, six guys with multiple catches, six guys with 30 yards or more receiving, and seven with 20 yards or more receiving. Like that, that'll play, man. That's good. That's all good. 
Yeah, and now, he also had Jordan. He completed passes to, I believe it's 10 different players, which was a season high. So that speaks to it too. Something else about the offense I'll mention is that they were good in such situational football, 60% on third down on a day, uh, one for two on fourth down. The red zone is obviously the concern. What stood out to me on and before we move on to the defense is is that third down efficiency. You know, there was a point in the game when it was after it was after the first drive by Georgia Tech in the second half. So you get the onside kick, then you're able to move the ball with relative ease. You they score on what looked like a pretty egregious pick play. It still might have even if the defender didn't pick Jamie Robinson, it might have been a big play. But you know, it, it was egregious. Should have been a penalty. Uh, was not called. ACC officiating at its finest. Uh, the offense felt like, and then you had a holding penalty on the kickoff return. It felt like you were starting to sputter there. You can feel a little bit of game pressure starting to set in with the lead cut to two scores. And I thought Jordan put the team on his shoulders and delivered some big throws on that drive, uh, including the Johnny Wilson one, if I'm not mistaken, Chris, on, on that one. Uh, and then again, the next drive as well to lead you down for a uh, for a field goal, I think it was. So Jordan was really good on third downs during that stretch is what I'm trying to say. He was really good in passing situations of being calm, scanning the field, taking what was there. It was just that's what you need. Like we talk about this team taking the next step. You need your leaders to make big plays for you in moments where you're struggling. He didn't force it like he has in previous games. He wasn't feeling pressure. He was calm, collected, and made big boy throws. And and like, yes, that that's a positive sign. That's what you need to finish off the season strong here in these remaining four games is for him to play like that. Uh, moving. Yeah, so I'll flip it over to the defense and give you yep. a second to collect your breath. FSU allows 24 yards on 24 plays in the first half. That's pretty self-explanatory of being really good football. Some of that was creating havoc, a word I love to use. FSU, I believe, had eight tackles for loss in the first half. They ended the game with a season high 10. They also had four sacks on the day. They were good at causing pressure, and some of that was, you know, Georgia Tech was without Jeff Sims. They started uh, Gibson. He was completely ineffective. They go to Zach Pyron who was somewhat effective, a little bit better with his legs, also did a good job of making pretty good pass decisions. Zach, there, there might be something there. He's going to probably end up transferring somewhere with the new staff, right? But yeah, there let, him, there. let him put some stuff on film and let's see what people do to him. But, yeah, he'll. I think he'll have some short-term success for them. And he wasn't bad. I'm not trying to diminish a kid. It's just a matter of film's not there. Um, I uh, Guys who played well on defense, Leonard Warner gets a start. Kind of deserved. Kid's been pretty good. Well, not kid. I mean, damn, he's like 25. But The 80-year-old uh, man has been pretty damn good. Leonard's been really consistent this year. Played very well when he's been given opportunities. He gets a start. He goes out there. He performs well. He has a one-and-a-half sack day along with Tatum Bethune. Jared Verse continues to do his thing. Two-and-a-half tackles for loss. He was in on a sack. He leads the team in both of those categories for a season. Jamie Robinson, another double-digit tackle game. I believe it was the 11th time in his career he's had double-digit tackles. He also had a, a one-and-a-half tackles for loss on the day. I, I just thought the defense was, for the majority of the game, in pretty good position. Secondary is still having some of its woes, specifically at the cornerback spots. That's causing some issues, allowing some plays that just shouldn't be showing up. The 32-yard touchdown to Jenkins. Jenkins had another catch, I believe, for 28 yards. Uh, those were probably the two most egregious passing plays on the day on FSC's Was defense. the Jenkins ones the potential PI one? Was that the corner pattern? I believe that was a 32-yarder for the touchdown, yeah. Yeah. Because their yeah. touchdowns were that, and then Pyron's run at the very end of the at game. At the end, so, yeah. yeah. So it was, again, I think he would have been open. I don't know if he scores, but like you're able to probably draw Jamie off. Uh, 
it was was an example of the coverage wasn't great and the play should have been wiped away probably with a penalty. Um, but but you still probably yeah. did a good job freeing him up. Tech averaged only 4.3 yards per play, 2.2 yards per rush. So the front porch was improved. Obviously, Fabian Lovett's return plays a big role in that. Lovett was on a pitch count but was effective. I think in general, he just elevates that group and their belief of what they're capable of doing beyond just the impact he does actually make on the field, which is significant. Uh, Georgia Tech, bad in situational football, 2 of 13 on third down. That's 15.4%. They did convert two of their three fourth down attempts on the day. The good news, FSU's defense forced Georgia Tech into an average third down distance. I believe it was 11.7 yards. You're going to win most of those. That's kind of the, you know, that's the key to doing it all. Don't let them win first and second down. They're probably not going to win third down. It forces three and outs. Georgia Tech had five three and outs in their first seven drives. They found a little rhythm offensively in the second half, which is why they put up about 270 yards. I think it was 264 on a day exactly. Most of that obviously coming in the second half. Hey, on real quick, uh, bear with me here. I'm trying to see what FSU splits were with Fabian Lovett. I want to see this, the Fabian Lovett uh, impact there. He made his first return since he, week one against LSU. And uh, what, 25 snaps? You mentioned a snap count that he was on. Um, yeah, it was around two dozen. I forget the exact number. Yeah, so so you're able to get him a little bit. I think they wanted him to be done for the day at the end of the first half, and they actually start off the the second half with Josh Farman. I think it was Malcolm Ray at defensive tackle, and then you end up letting them kind of move down the field and, and score, as we already discussed, that being the batter. Which has become score. a game-by-game tradition. Yeah, we'll talk. Save it for the awful. ugly portion. Save it for the <laughs> ugly portion. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, but he has to go back in there. So FSU allowed 4.3 yards per play, which is – very solid on the day with Fabian Lovett in the game. FSU, or according to True Media, allowed 0.27 yards per play. Yeah, I mean, which reflects that he played a majority of the first half and not much. Yeah, yes, back. yeah, yes, he was. But I mean that, and that's a very small sample size. Uh, he's not going to only allow 0.27 yards per play the remainder of the season when he's there. But just to show, like this was the first time since the LSU game where we got to see really FSU's full collection of talent on defense. Jared Verse uh, was able to be productive as a pass rusher, maybe not from a sack standpoint. I think he was in on half of one, but you saw the speed and power for him outside. We got to see Jamie Robinson, Chris mentioned earlier, with a really uh, stat-stuffing game, but they used him a lot as a blitzer. I think he blitzed four times, which is tied for a season high. That was the most aggressive blitz package we've seen under Adam Fuller, maybe since he's been here. Uh, certainly this season uh, should probably pull up numbers for that to confirm what we I, saw, but it seemed pretty I think aggressive. Georgia Tech's underwhelming skill at their skill positions. I mean, EJ Carter's a big target, and he's obviously capable of getting downfield. He did twice on the day. And their slot, whose name escapes me at the moment, had a very quiet game against FSU. They're both capable guys, but in general, Georgia Tech's offensive skill just isn't any not, good. Not very good. So you can leave guys on an island and feel okay yeah. with it. Uh, but, you know, with – with Fabian being back, uh, you see what the yard per play difference is. The top three defenders and PFF grade, Chris, for FSU. Care to guess? Linebackers. All three linebackers. Uh, I was going to say Rob Deloach. Kalen Deloach, DJ Lundy, and Tatum Bethune. Shout out Papa Deloach uh, if he's listening. So you had those three guys. First off, fire Randy Shannon, right? That group is so much better than it was uh, a year ago or any time in the last few years. But would you have Fabian Lovett out there taking up double teams or just there's one example I'll send out the clip later on Twitter of him doing what he does, which is just tossing an offensive lineman. I guess that clears up things for the linebackers. 
we've been judging this defense for me incompletely this season. You miss your most important player. It'd be like if Jordan Travis was not there on offense. That's the only comparable, maybe Johnny Wilson, because Jordan's just so important. But that's the only like missing a piece that critical and that important to what you do. Uh, it was just cool to see like, okay, this is what you have now. If he could stay healthy the rest of the year, if you can kind of expand his his usage against Miami this week in an important game, Syracuse, Florida, we will see what this defense is. With that all being said, Chris, let's let's get into the the bad aspects of this game, uh, and I, I or the ugly. I guess they're all kind of the bad and ugly. We we can, I don't we need to differentiate. Let's start off with your your running theme of of four straight games in which the defense has allowed a touchdown to begin the second half. So yeah, game. it's been it's been non competitive on those drives. That's probably the most. That's the oddest thing. You give up 24 yards and a half, and then you come out, and it's just like the onside kick, which Mike Norvell admitted after the game, they knew was probably coming at some point in this game. Georgia Tech's, for whatever reason, their special teams is as whacked out as humanly possible. It's either really good at some things, which onside kick falls into that category. They've done it pretty effectively for multiple years now. Or they're god-awful at punting. So, like, yeah, it's just a weird deal with what they do on special teams. But FSU kind of knew that was coming. I don't want to single a cat out, but a certain freshman, I think, got caught a little bit of sleep on that one, and it bit him in the backside. So, there you go. Um, but with, that, with, so, with Azari, I mean, we don't, I mean, we're not, I'm not being critical. We just talk about the play with Azari Thomas. He's a freshman there, and he's he's someone they're trying to give more and more uh, opportunities to. because Live and learn, baby. Live yeah. and learn. I, to me, that play specifically, like, what I did not care for was, one, yeah, I f- remember thinking like this could be a good time for an onside kick as they were starting off the second half. But almost if you watch his reaction, Chris, he's he's instead of fighting for the ball still, he's looking to the refs to be like, that didn't go 10 yards. And that's a learning opportunity. It just can't happen again. Yeah, just, and You worry about the ball, let them make yeah. a call, especially because they're idiots and they're not always good at making a call. So, yeah. What? They are. We saw I'm one not, of the worst not, offensive I'm, PIs ever. Chris, I love it when you're blunt. Talk blunt to me, baby. Um, all right, so other bad slash ugly items. We've mentioned the penalties. FSU did have 13 on the day, season high, 104 yards, season high. The most Eight egregious was that Johnny offense. Wilson OPI. Yeah. I mean, Johnny Wilson was just – that was a brutal penalty. He just was so handsy on the OPI. It was awful. So I mean, awesome. for a conference that loves to make bad calls, they really – they rose their game to make an extremely bad call in that That, that, yeah. that was a special one. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny got clotheslined on it. Sorry, continue. Eight offensive penalties, 60 yards, five defensive penalties, 44 yards. Just can't have that. Uh, you, you're going to get bit in the butt if you keep committing penalties at that kind of clip. Do you have the uh, penalties pulled up in front of you, like what they were, Chris? I, I don't have the individual breakdown. I mean, it's obviously available on the stat tracker. And it's there. I'm trying to pull it up real quick. It seems like there was a lot of uh, – encroachment type of penalties it's, on offense and it was like there's a few pre-snap obviously some in play like the johnny wilson as far as offensive goes yeah. some pre-snap the in play one with johnny wilson for example i think there was a holding down field on one example is another one uh so yeah they kind of so, it was a mixed bag it wasn't right. constantly Fal- false starts you false know, start false start holding Substitution infraction on sportsmanlike yeah. penalty on, on sportsmanlike conduct penalty, which was offsetting, false start, pass interference, false start, holding, false start. So one, two, three, four, four false start, false starts, and false starts, false starts, and then the substitution infraction. So yeah, half of your your penalties there on offense are pre snap uh, 
organizational ones. Like the, I was, I bring up that point, Chris, because also in the in the bad there with the penalties was like the snapping is snapping important to you, but just like it was really funky. Like one, the snapping wasn't great, but but two, there was multiple times where it looked like either Maurice snapped and was moving well before the rest of the offensive line or vice versa, uh, where the offensive line was moving like before, or like some guys were moving somewhere uh, or Trey Benson was leaning a little bit. It was just, I don't know if they were messing with like a new cadence or something. Well, it's uh, I wonder wonky. Georgia tech does that kind of annoying last second shift with your D line. Some, yeah. so I do wonder if that caused some issues or at least threw off timing to a degree. Still not an excuse. Uh, mm-hmm. There was some organization issues in general on the day. Getting guys in, getting guys out, getting plays set. Uh, I thought Mike Norvell's head was going to pop off his shoulders at one point when he had to burn a timeout there. I believe it was in the first half. They had he had to burn two, two timeouts. pretty early. Yeah, and he it was not in a good place mentally because it just shouldn't be happening at this point in this season. There were an example were... in the second half, I believe, where the defense barely got guys off not to have too many guys on the field before a snap. So just it, it was odd that that's happening in that game. That's not something that I think we can legitimately say consistently happens with this team. They've usually been pretty clean in that regard. They were not on Saturday for whatever reason. Yeah, there was the two, and that'll lead us, I think, into the red zone discussion, which should be bad or ugly, probably closer to ugly, if we're being honest at this point. Uh, but the getting into the red zone, and I think – I think it was all in the same drive where you had the two timeouts that were burned because of uh, substitution issues. Norvell was chewing out Marcus and Douglas pretty well. The, the tight ends in that first couple drives and they settled in, but uh, we're, we're pretty disastrous. It was Cam McDonald just absolutely whiffing on a block or not even finding anyone on the first drive and which could have been honestly a touchdown if he just even gets in the way of anyone pressing Daniel dropping uh, what would have been a first down and, and you end up throwing a, having another drop with Kendrick Podia the next play, uh, which leads to a turnover on downs. And then Marquise yep. and Douglas uh, on the, on the next drive where you're knocking on the door and you're having to burn a timeout and burn two uh, within, I think three plays of each other. So anyways, that all leads us then uh, that was my little segment on the, on the tight ends there. That all leads us to the wildcat play uh, on, I think it was third and goal from the one. The play before was that jet sweep or speed sweep with Micah Pittman. Uh, Micah takes an interesting track to the end zone, doesn't get in. I thought that would have been a reviewable play. It was not. I'm not sure if it would have been called. Uh, be nice if the condensed game on the ACC Network had that play in there, but you know, there's just something. Did they run that happened. play in the spring game with him? They did, or something similar. Some, yeah, they ran something, and he tried to power it in at the end. I believe he did in the spring game. I think that's the last time he actually ended up in it. And he did power it in, too. Like, he got yeah. in. Um, and he got close on this one. I mean, you picked up. It was a yeah. positive play. It set you up for third and one. So I don't have an issue with that. Uh, and I don't have a huge issue with the Wildcat. We'll talk about it in a little bit. However, the execution on that play was poopy. It was poopy. Bad snap, running back, kind of leaning the wrong way, or at least just moving. And, yeah. It led to at, what it led to. At this point, credit to Jordan like, Travis hustled his ass off on that play. To make yeah, that, that's a play that, yes, he was lined up on the exact opposite side of the field, uh, sprinted. If anyone's saying that Jordan isn't feeling well, go back and watch that play and tell me that my man isn't isn't feeling okay these days. He seemed pretty fresh there. Um, yeah, the hustle to go and make that play. I'm on Team J-Trav. I've, I've been on Team J-Trav for a while. I don't want to get stuck on play calling in the red zone because I feel like it's turned into its own beast. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It is what it is. If they were being successful, I don't think we would care at all. 
The issue is that there's just been too many miscues there. You know, we can all go back to the pitch against LSU, kind of started a nightmare scenario of the issues there. Now you have toe Philly fumble there. FSU has five visits there. They come away with 20 total points, four per visit, two made field goals. Congrats, Ryan Fitzgerald. It looks like you're done with your yips. Uh, also, no, you, just, you just jinxed him. Way to go. Uh, hopefully not. But uh, in Miami game is coming up. Damn you. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Um, and then you have the fumble. So, you know, FSU definitely left three to seven points out there because of that play, the fumble. And it's just they, they got to get better. at it. They, it, I don't even get why it's happening at this point. They were a much better red zone team with a much worse football team a season ago than what they are today. So to me, it's an execution issue versus a necessarily a play calling issue. I don't love the play calling. I don't want people to think I'm defending the play calling. I'm not a big fan of it, but I'm not stuck on that as much as FSU's just got to be better in that area. For whatever reason, the focus isn't there. They practice that every single day. That's every single time we're at practice. There is multiple moments of red zone situations. They end literally essentially the first half of practice every day with a red zone play before they take a water break every single day. So it is something that is done on a constant basis. And then they run a number of other plays in the tight zone, red zone, 10 and in, five and in, two and in. They do a ton of that kind of stuff. And they're pretty good at it in practice. And they run a variety of things. And we've seen them run a variety of things in games. And we've seen them run a lot of things in games. They run in practice and they run it well in practice. And then in the game, it goes to, you know what? So it's aggravating, frustrating. I, you know, it's just got to be better. If they want to be the best football team, that they can be their best version of themselves with how much their offense produces yards and puts them in positions for points, they've got to start capitalizing on points at a higher rate than they have on the air. It's that simple. FSU is on the season 105th nationally in scoring rate inside the red zone, 76%. Uh, Funny that Florida is 102nd, and when I'm about to go to the next stat, uh, there's a bunch of teams from the state of Florida. Apparently, they just Florida teams can't score in the red zone. FAU is 112th, UCF's 119th, FIU's 122nd. Uh, but so last year, FSU was top 25 nationally in red zone scoring. Well, what this is speaking to Chris's point of this frustration is like you're able to move the ball really well. FSU in yards per play, 11th, 11th nationally. They are they are a borderline elite offense. With they their are points they per are, yards. Well, okay, that's going to be a little harder to find, Chris. Give me a well, I thought you had that. It was what, like ninety fifth last week? I think it was. I mean, they are two. Like, so I mean, teams that are just barely ahead of them in yards per play: North Carolina, Alabama. Uh, the the Florida game is going to be fun because it's going to be like two Spider Man memes, where Florida is actually thirteenth nationally in yards per play at six point nine two. So it's a, a tale of two teams that can move the ball, can't punch it in. Uh, but when we get to actually like points per game, and that's so you're talking about a top 15 yards per play, which is an important metric, and you're talking about bottom 100 uh, red zone efficiency. Florida State's points per game this season is 48th nationally, and it evens out to you're averaging 32.1 points per game. If you're just average, if you're just average scoring in the red zone, you're probably top 25 team nationally in points per game. And why I say that is it's important because you probably have an extra win under your belt, just statistically, just adding more points, you know, three to five extra a game or something like that. Um, One positive in regards to this situation is in comparison to earlier in the year, it's because Fitzgerald's kicking has been better now his last three attempts. There's at least the possibility of the kicking game factoring in. Not that I'm feeling great about him taking something 40 or more, but just in the sense 
FSU was having to deal with situations where they were going to have to go for it. They were playing four down football and they weren't going to kick the ball for a few weeks there. And that obviously took some points off the board. I don't think they're quite in that pickle anymore. I agree with you. That is that is a positive development. Uh, the last negative aspect of the game, I think we spoke about this a little bit with the defense and kind of this complex of uh, first half or sorry, excuse me, first drive of second half. But but in general, still too much confusion in, in the X's and Knowles guys talk about this. Still too much confusion with coverage switches and uh, teams go bunch formations against them where you're really like trying to where you're trying to incite confusion and force defense to play very like responsible base coverage switch off concepts and pattern matching. And they struggle with that. And that's something that if you're Miami, if you're Syracuse, which I think Syracuse will do a fair amount of that. If you're Florida, like you're going to try to test FSU with a bunch of formations and see if that secondary can communicate. And if it can't, then you might drop a game or two that you shouldn't. And that's, that just it has to be better at this point in the season. So yeah. that's my last pitch for bad or ugly, Chris. That works for me. I'm good. You want, you want no punts on the day. No punts on the day. No Mastro. Um, first time since 2010, apparently. I was surprised to see that was the number. Wow. Yeah, that was a corner okay. to FSU. Okay. So as we put a bow on this game, like, listen, not the not a not a work of art, but to me, I think Kev said this extremely well on the instant reaction pod. Think about where you were two seasons ago against Georgia Tech in the opener, just from a talent level standpoint and where you were on Saturday. Let that sink in. Just think about how it looked, how your athletes moved in space, how you're able to win in the trenches consistently, how you're able to not play your best game. You probably played a C game, maybe a B, uh, and you still won by 25 points. Like, okay, that's, we are, we are judging this program on whether you can take the next step, uh, another step forward, but like you have made, incremental growth the last couple of years and i don't lose sight of that is what i'm trying I, to say i tried to have my column kind of say that too I you hope, did you said I that hit the mark there. you said it very well it was i always like a chris column where i could tell you're sticking out your tongue to the side when you're writing it and really getting into it and i can tell you got into it buddy i can tell uh let's get into buyer sonone here sponsored by the turner group <laughs> chris nailed it their turner group is the Realtors stop for you if you're in the state of Florida. Now, they're based in Central Florida, but they can help you out throughout the entire state under the Keller Williams umbrella. But Colin and Amy Turner are both FSU grads. They're specializing in home sales and buying in the Central Florida area. They're in the Winter Park area. He was texting me before the game on Saturday, Chris, uh, that he was showing some homes uh, in the morning and was hoping to get home and, and do some barbecuing to watch the game. So hopefully, Colin, you enjoyed yourself and had a fairly anxiety-free viewing experience. I think it was probably went, went that way. Hey, if he didn't get home till the second quarter, it was a great day for him. Yeah, man. Maybe, maybe like maybe an appointment ran a little bit late. Maybe you're showing home and someone to close on it right there. And you had to get some things worked out and you, you showed up in the second quarter. It was great. Hopefully you didn't show up for the first drive of the second half though. Yeah. Long bathroom break or flipping the steak or whatever. How long of a bathroom? And no, let's not, let's not get into it. So if you're looking to buy or sell a home, even if you're just like wanting to kind of know what the market's like right now and, and want to get an idea of what that would look like, honestly, please reach out to Colin. He will be more than happy to kind of give you a breakdown and just explain to you what they do. Support the person who supports our show and supports buyers and makes this weird, goofy, awkward segment that you guys seem to love happen every single week. You can reach out to Colin at 407 403 Four, oh, three, two, one, 407 403 
8546. You can email them at getstartedattheturnergroup.com. Just Google the Turner Group as well, and, and you'll get the information you need. Colin, I'm, I'm sorry if I just butchered your read there. Sorry, Colin. All right, Chris, let's get into it. By or Sinone, Jordan Travis is back. I'm not buying it quite yet. It's a pretty important week for Jordan Travis, as it is for everybody, rivalry game. Uh, while Miami's been fairly putrid lately and not very good, they still have somewhat capable defensive players. So it's going to be an important week for him. So I, I just don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. I'm buying it. I know when my man's body language is good. I know when he's feeling it. I know when he's he's playing loose and free. Uh, I think we will see a LSU game, Jordan Travis, in terms of intensity and focus and fun on Saturday. I did appreciate his uh, his pivot with his emotional uh, viewing of how he wants to close out this season that he spoke about in the post game. Elaborate on that, please. That's a good point. I, and well, I, I mean, I'm he, totally with you. He has been aggravated the last couple of weeks, frustrated. That comes with losing. That's kind of a natural order, especially for a guy who's a veteran and competitive and who may be playing his last season, potentially playing his last season. And I think he kind of understands, you know, the time is now. I, I've always had, it comes down to basketball guys, but I, I remember basketball coaches always telling me that seniors kind of hit that last 15 game stretch of their senior year and realize, oh man, like this is it. Like if I'm ever going to do it, I'm going to do it now. Not to say Jordan's kind of put it off to this last stretch of his potential career here, but I think he understands that like now is the time. So I just, he seems very determined and that's a good thing for Jordan Travis and for FSU football. And for FSU. I, I agree. Byers Sinone, the Wildcat. <laughs> I'm Sinoning that. I don't like the Wildcat and it has zero to do with FSU. I just don't like the Wildcat. I'm not a fan of it. I, I'd much rather line it up, hand it to a running back or a fullback and let him try to crash in from a yard or two out. I'm just not a fan of Wildcat. It has been effective for FSU in the past. Chris, I apologize preemptively because I know you said you didn't want to get too much into play calling in the red zone here, but I do think it's a worthwhile topic. We're going to use the buyer's known format to kind of have poke some fun at, at some stuff, but but then also talk about the series, which is the whole point of this segment. Byers Sinone, FSU is too cute in the red zone. I guess I'll buy. I hate the term too cute. You know, I think I actually well, use those exact words on what, Saturday. What about two? What about uh, trick plays in the I, they're not trick play. They're Mike not trick plays. They're Mike designed Nord. plays and they're, they're, you know, it's just changing the hack game with how you're using people. That all, that's all it is. Uh, I just, sometimes I'm a big fan of keeping it really simple. And I know simple doesn't always work and that the defense is going to line up and try to stop you no matter what way you do it. I just I don't need so many moving pieces, moving parts, potential handoffs, potential movement of the ball where calamities happen. Because this mm -hmm. year, for whatever reason, it seems calamities have happened a lot. Calamities, good word. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. So there's this is a time where nuance is needed. I know people don't want to hear that. We don't like nuance. We want black or white. We don't want a gray area. But one, like calling them trick plays, like there, Mike Gravel was asked about trick plays in the red zone. He did not like that response in post game, and that's fair. Like those aren't trick plays. Like a, like a jet sweep isn't a, a trick play. Like if you start doing reverses, if you start doing like multiple play action type of stuff, like all right, like that's to be where this balancing act is of like, yeah, I'm fine with you doing like a pulling out a jet sweep. I think uh, moving Jordan Travis around or doing read option stuff with him is fine. 
I do, I'm totally cool with the wildcat too. Like I don't have an issue with that. Like other people do, you're, you're trying to create a numbers game there and you're trying to help out your offensive line, which ultimately gets us to the point of like FSU is not very good as a power running team. And that's because offensive line is you're down two guys who should be starting for you. You may be down three at this point with Justin Turnitin uh, at this point. And yeah, man, it just, when FSU runs into a loaded box, I don't have the number right in front of me, but when you run into a they're box of more defenders, they're in the hundreds nationally. Yeah, they're not very good. So it's like, then what do you yeah. do? And that, FSU is good so, at kind of creating a guessing game with their running game, and that's why they're successful with their running game. It's not that they just can line up and run the ball. I mean, they can to a degree. They are a very good running team, but they've done a good job of kind of keeping teams off balance. It's not, it's not simply hats on hats. You know, five guys up front blocking, opening these amazing holes and running backs running clean down the field. There's a lot of broken tackles, a lot of yards after contact, a lot of, you know, getting guys in ISO situations with a certain player on a down where they're probably expecting pass and FSU runs. There's a decent amount of that. So, like, the idea of just lining – and I'm I'm a believer of just trying it, but the idea of just lining up and running and having effectiveness in the red zone, in the tight zone, I understand why FSU may feel like they're not – truly capable of doing that with consistent success. I do understand that. The the balancing act I think is maybe some of the 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 ball touching more than the quarterback and then a running back or receiver's hands in a play or in a in a sequence may not be great in that tight area of field. Um trying to do screens, things like that I think you give me a little bit of agita, make make me a little uh upset tubby-ish. And so that's DJ kind of Lundy act. time. I would just DJ but Lundy so then time. But then when you're playing DJ Lundy 40-something snaps on defense in a game when you're going with a lot of 4-3 stuff like he did against Georgia Tech, and DJ Lundy, Chris, we know this, like there's some hype. DJ Lundy loses a ton of water <laughs> during the course of practice. <laughs> he does. He's not out there with the first linebacker group often. I imagine he's getting IVs. Like my man just sweats profusely, and I don't know what the deal is there. He Tears up a lot, like yeah. But if he scores a touchdown, it's like a power up, and he'll be right back. It's just, it's just it's like not how game. it's not like it's <laughs> not how it works. Come on. My, my point being, now if you want to put, if you want to put Wyatt Rector at fullback, so now boy, now we're getting into fantasy. Speaking of video games, oh. Zach's good. He's going to join us now for the final five minutes of the podcast. It's good. I was going to get to recruiting he just, stuff. He's just finished eating a bunch of Reese's. <laughs> stay up all night drinking, going to Halloween parties, doing God knows what, and then throwing down some Reese's in the morning. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, I'm delaying here for a minute or two because I had the remaining buyers to know and we're all recruiting based ones, Chris. But okay, here's the last, the last not recruiting based buyers to know. Uh, buyers to know, you would trade a loss against this Miami team. This dog crap, mediocre, Lucky to be mediocre. I'm so known in this. Miami I don't even need to hear it in the second half. No, listen to the rest of it. Against this Miami team, in exchange, you get to go 3-0 for the rest of the regular season. And that includes a win I'm so against Florida it. at the end. I hate, oh! I, I hate Miami. I despise Miami. I don't care for Miami. I always want FSU to beat their in-state rivals. It's better for business. It's better for FSU. It's better for the coaches that work at FSU. And at the end of the day, it makes Twitter a hell of a lot more fun. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so known it. I have a certain tweet that I have marked and we'll get in back the drafts. To... It's already in the drafts. It's already ready to go. If Florida state wins, don't let me down boys. Hey, look who it is. Yo, on, 
Unmute your mic. There we go. Hello, Zachary. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. What's up, guys? Were you uh, doing debaucherous stuff last night to celebrate Halloween, and that's why you were late to the podcast? Or no, actually not. Um, I was chilling last night, so just just got the times mixed up. Hmm. Yeah, I can see the eight does look a lot like a nine. Could be a text message. All right, we're doing buyer Sonone. Zach, you're diving right in. We're getting right to recruiting. Let's do this. Byers Sonone, FSU should go all in on Cedric Baxter, who is here for an official visit this weekend. All in. Go ahead, all Zach. In. Get those pipes warmed up. Get get it going. You're just hitting the ground running, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I assume when you're talking all in, you're talking about NIL. Um, I'm just talking about opportunity. I'm talking about opportunities. Oh, opportunities. Yeah. Um, I think uh I think they should. I think Cedric Baxter is a really talented running back. I think He's probably, in my opinion, the best running back in the country uh, in 2023. Um, you know, it's just it's just how much do you value a running back, right? You have guys on your roster that you feel really good about. Um, you know, Trey Ward, Toe Feely. Yeah, ben we talked we talked about them all already. If you were here on time, okay. you would have known that. Okay. Continue. You're just so mean. Um, but yeah, I think uh I think you do. Um, I think I, I I'd buy that. I think you should uh Add a, add a talent like that. Not only it, it would it help your team, but it also just a huge, you know, uh, recruiting flex to be able to land a prospect like that that a bunch of other schools want. Um, obviously, he's committed to Texas, but UF and, and Texas A&M and a bunch of other schools want him as well. So um, I think the, the, the recruiting PR uh, of landing a guy like that would be huge as well. Cats who can light up the scoreboard you always want. So yes, bye. Another reason for buy is it's good for rising spear in the sense of it or any kind of NIL collective because it's essentially a billboard saying this thing's working. Here we go. Let's keep doing it. And three, it also will help kill narratives of they can't recruit elite talent. You land a guy like Cedric Baxter along with a guy like Hakeem Williams, that that trends in the right direction. You want to keep doing that and keep stockpiling talent. FSU is very good at evaluating and signing and developing running backs, but I'm all for taking elite one. Yeah, I don't know how long this lasts for, but there is, a, to me, I, I believe a trend in which like FSU does something important on the recruiting trail, and that becomes a positive for Rising Spear, to where people wanted to further invest in it. You would think it'd be the other way around. Like if you're struggling, people be like, "Oh, here, here you go, take money. We're gonna jumpstart it." Like no, it's like the opposite. It's almost like this, this thing where people want to back. A winning hand, and I get it. You well, get excited. I understand the human nature behind it. I'm sure it's kind of like for the Turner Group when they're able to sell a really nice home. That's great billboard for them to potentially sell your next really nice home. When Rising Spear and FSU is able to land a really talented prospect who you know is in the NIL game, and it's no secret in this case that that is part of the factor. I think it's a really good billboard for we're going to potentially do it again. But you know, obviously, the coffers have to be filled to continue to have effectiveness in doing that. Speaking of coffers, Zach, real quick, the Turner Group, 407-403-8546. Get started at the Turner Group. Colin Turner, let me know on the bench sent you. Zach, coffer, how are you feeling? Buyers to Zach, you will you will make it through the month of November alive. I'm buying that. I'm getting over this cough, finally. Mm, Sinoning it. Uh, let's see here. Let's talk. Let's stop at Cedric Baxter real quick. You're able to talk to him after the official visit. Real quick, Zach, I guess, what was the takeaway? I got to listen we had a little bit of a – I was on the bench to try to get Cedric Baxter, realized that wasn't going to happen uh, post-visit, and Zach had to hustle to get to the hotel. So I, I guess, Phyllis and Zach, what happened 
with uh, with the Cedric Baxter interview. What stood out to you with that with that post official visit interview? Yeah, we talked to him at the hotel. Don't say the hotel name. We'll blank that out. Where are they send the credits? What uh, they know? We've said that before. Okay, you're you're being obnoxious. Um, Cedric- I'm being obnoxious. You show up an hour late. Maybe stay, wait for five minutes, and I'm the obnoxious one. Okay. Um, Cedric Baxter, by all accounts, had a great time on his visit to Florida State over the weekend. Um, He loved meeting with Mike Norvell. He said he got a chance to meet with AD Michael Alford on the trip. It talked a lot about the new facilities. He talked, um, you know, within the major he wants to uh, do, like, doing college sports communication. He, he met with a professor over there. Um, so he got a lot, he got a chance to do a lot on the visit. Um, said some really positive things afterwards. Um, he basically said that he told schools that he's not taking official visits in December, or probably not going to take official visits in December because he plans to be competing for a state title um, with his high school team during that month um, and doesn't really want to take visits during that time. Um, so he told teams, you know, I'm going to take my official official visits now or never. Um, and it kind of just worked out for Florida State to host him this weekend because his high school team's on a bye. He didn't have practice on Tuesday and Friday or Thursday and Friday. So he was able to make it up, um, you know, for a full weekend, which is kind of tough to do on, on a game, you know, visit. Uh, Florida State had a noon game, so they, they were able to hang out with him you know, a lot after the game on, on Saturday as well. So it just worked out very well for FSU to get him in this weekend. That's kind of the reasoning of why he took the visit. Um, Zach, do, you, do you think he'll take – I don't totally buy that, like, he won't take any more official visits. Oh, yeah, I agree. Okay. I I think, you know, it, I think he'll find a way to, to, to get to these places, even if, you know um, – even if it's a, you know, shortened game visit or whatever, maybe he misses a little bit of, like, Monday of school to, to to be at one of these places. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is his last visit, like some are, are saying. Um, but I, I definitely do think FSU played this right because, I mean, if the kid's saying he's not going to take any December officials, like, what do you – like, you can't just, like, say that he's lying and you, you're going to wait. Um, right. I don't think FSU has that luxury. Um, but, you know, I think they did a, an amazing job. Like – you know, NIL is one part of this, like we've, we mentioned, but there are a bunch of other factors that, that are going into his decision. And Cedric basically said that FSU's checked every box. Um, it, it, Cedric he's, Boxster. He's, uh, he's loving it, man. Um, they, he said, they've done what I wanted to see. Playing-wise, meaning the coaches, everything I've wanted to see, they've done. Now, as a lot of people say, it's a business decision. I've got to do what's best for me. Um this quote was was kind of the quote of the article. He goes, it's hard not to think about, he said of FSU, I feel like if any recruit came here and they were committed somewhere else and they were like, I'm still committed, firm committed, I feel like they'd be lying to you. Of course, it's going to be in the back of my head. I'm not saying I will flip or none of that, but of course, I'm going to think about it. So um, he also said that he'll probably be back to Florida State. Um, basically, that this is not the last time he, he'll see Florida State before putting pen to paper. Um, you know, he said, you know, Norvell might come to a game or an in-home visit as well. So um, definitely not the last meeting between the two sides before he signs uh, in the month of December. 
by Orsonone, FSU has jockeyed into first place for Edwin Joseph. Um, man, it's tough. I would, I would buy that, um, but I don't think it's like you know far and ahead. Um, I think Louisville's the the team right in there that's, uh, you know, battling with FSU, um, but I think. FSU has done a great job um, getting him on campus for two consecutive home games, and they've kind of um, built up their own momentum in that recruitment. Um, so, yeah, I think they're probably 1A, 1B with, with Louisville right now. Um, and, you know, if they continue the success, and and I'll let Brendan kind of chime in on this because I know you're in, you, you're in the know on this recruitment as well. We lost Chris. Chris had to go. So now no. he's gone. Yeah. So now it's just you and me. This worked out splendidly. Uh, I... <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'll go with bye. I think, I mean, I think Louisville going into this week was was a team to beat. You know, some crystal balls in for Miami with with Edwin, but and Edwin just to to clarify for our listeners uh, is a rising three star athlete from South Florida. Someone who played primarily wide receiver last year has now moved to play primarily cornerback this year and, and looks really good. His senior highlights are are very impressive. You see a very uh, twitchy, physical chippy cornerback and someone I think has become a type a top priority for the Seminoles at a position of need in, in this recruiting cycle. Uh, having him travel up with Hakeem Williams, I think is really, really helpful. That's a nice touch for, for FSU. Uh, Hakeem Williams being engaged as a recruiter just continually makes you feel good. By the way, Hakeem had an awesome game. What do you have, Zach? Like 200? Receiving yards, yeah, he had seven, seven catches, 210 receiving yards, and three touchdowns on <laughs> past Friday. Byer Snone calling touchdowns, tutties, douche or no douche. Byer Snone, oh, bye. I don't like him, I don't like that nickname, yeah. I, I don't either. Tutties is, is douchey, but I like saying it too. So, so does that make you a douche? I think it makes that action douchey. I try to, to judge the action, not the actual person, Zach. Okay. Maybe learn that. Don't be such a, a d- sometimes. Yeah, let's move on. Let's go. All right. Got to edit it. So anyways, I think I think Edwin is a guy to FSU. I'm buying it. I think FSU, if I had to pick today, I think FSU is in great position. We'd probably get him. Uh, official visits are going to be important to see, like, which which weekend you can get him on. You can get him in that last one. We will see. We've also seen that Louisville has done a very good job closing on South Florida prospects recently, and, and so you're going to have to be uh, aggressive there, and it'll be a, a recruitment to monitor – through the rest of this remaining cycle. Byers to known, Zach, FSU gets at least one commit this upcoming month of November. Or today. You know what? We'll count, we'll count Halloween as well. We'll count it. So it's today or the month of November. I'd buy. Ooh. I'm just going to leave it there, right? Yeah. Mm, interesting. All right. Uh, I asked Chris about, thank you to the Turner Group for sponsoring Byers to known. Want to roll our recruiting information into that segment for time reasons, because again, Zach was late. Hi, Zach. Welcome. Uh, last thing I want to talk about is candy. Let's talk about candy. Chris gave me his Mount Rushmore of trick-or-treat candy. I want to get your your top four. What, what would make, if, if you were going around trick-or-treating at the ripe age of 22 years old, what would you be them happiest with? Like, what would be the only four candies you would need to satiate your sweet tooth for the rest of the week? Man, let me think. Um, I think, so four, you said? Mm-hmm. That's right. We're Mount Rushmore's four, right? George Washington, yeah. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln, 
Who are the other two? I have no idea, honestly. Teddy, what? You don't know the other two? Let's guess. I knew them in like fifth grade. I forgot. A Roosevelt. I think there's a sing there's a Roosevelt. And Thomas Jefferson's one. Yeah. I know that. I remember that. Okay. I don't know. Who's the other one? Is it Theodore Roosevelt? It is George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt. A. Theodore Roosevelt. All right. Got it. You knew it. I kind of knew it. Um, top my top four candy. Let me think. Um, I think just classic Hershey's. Okay. Milk chocolate, like the Hershey's milk chocolate. Um, Reese's peanut butter cup. Mm-hmm. Um, controversial pick, Milky Way. Ooh, okay. I love me Good. some caramel. And then um, Skittles. Uh, so Chris had. Reese's is number one, surefire, which I agree with. If we were going to, if we had all three of us together for a prolonged period of time, Zach, we would do a draft, but screw the pooch on that one. So we couldn't do a draft. And I was going to, and I was going to omit any kind of Reese's product from there because I knew everyone would want that. That's the ultimate. That's the OG. Uh, he had Hershey's as well. Uh, so you guys are similar there. His other chocolate was Kit Kat, which I would have gone with Kit Kat over, over, uh, Milky Way and my my caramel fix would have been a Twix. So, okay. uh, but then he finally he went with a, a a fruit based one as well. He went with some like lemon head sour lemon head thing. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. That was that was a weird development for him to add to the that's Mount Rushmore. Like, uh, that's definitely like an oldie kind of thing. <laughs> as he but, said, he hadn't had one in a while, and they did trunk or treat with the boys recently, <laughs> and so like he remembered how good they were. So he, oh. Chris totally just stealing his kids' Halloween candies. What, what was happening? <laughs> Poor Carter. Poor Carter, who also has a cough just like yours right now, apparently. Uh oh. Yeah, not great. Not great. All righty. Uh, last thing I'll, I'll leave you with here, Zach, is we'll, Chris answered this different than I think I would have, but we'll do a buyer Sinone. Get out of here. FSU, buyer Sinone. FSU, if you were FSU, you would trade off a loss against this dog crap Miami team in exchange to get a guaranteed 3 0 into this season. Man, um, you could just say Sonone and let it just the chips fall where they may and see how it plays out. I would Sonone that. I think you this is a must win game, in my opinion. Like, how can you look at this Miami team and think like a loss is acceptable? I don't know. That I feel like that'd just be such a sour like thing to have, um, in the back of everyone's mind heading out of the season. Like, even if you do. I mean, what the the next three games aren't like. It's not like you're beating someone like that special. Syracuse might be ranked when you play them. They just had a bad loss to Notre Dame, and their um, quarterback had to leave the game with a shoulder yeah. injury. So. And then Louisiana and Florida aren't you know anything super special. Um, you know, UF has the has the the ability to beat you, but they're not some amazing team. So, no, I, I would know that. I don't think you you accept a loss against Miami. This Miami team specifically. See, but the, to me, like the ability, because I, I think UF is the best team remaining on the schedule and to end the season on a high note and like, no, you get that no matter what you get to be bowl eligible. You share yourselves of eight wins with that. And you end the year in a three game winning streak. Like, uh, I guess then you have to hear the Miami fans the rest of the year. They lost to middle Tennessee state. They, they, got didn't, just, out. they didn't just lose to mid Tennessee state. Like that was nothing fluky. They handled they them. Blown out by Duke. Like they, 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 they went you can how lose. many how many points did they score against Virginia on Saturday? Fourteen. In how many overtimes? It was four field goals and a two point conversion in third overtime. 
That's how they won. You can't lose to this team, man. Like you cannot. I'm sorry. All right, clip it. They're gonna clip. We're gonna clip that for next Monday if something goes ter- terribly wrong. Yeah, I will. I got some. <laughs> I got. Daddy's got some receipts saved. Don't you worry about that, Zach. Don't you worry about that. I've got some. I've got some receipts saved. I hope I can pull them out. All right, for the tardy Zach Blaustein, for the no longer present Chris Nee. I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back later this week. Chris is back. <laughs> <laughs>